everyone. Welcome. Welcome to our midweek service. How do? Howdy. <laughs> All right. So, uh, <clears throat> let's see, we have a new grandchild. So, congratulations to Charlie and Cindy, um, a brand new baby girl. And uh, she was born, uh, was it yesterday or this morning? This morning, 120. Wow. So 120 a.m., brand new baby. Um, we uh, went yesterday and uh, saw, um, visited Benjamin, Victoria's baby, and uh, she's doing good. I know, Darcy, you went uh, yesterday as well, and uh, he's doing well, and uh, Mama's doing well. And so we have some new additions <laughs> and uh, just uh, definitely a, an exciting time for the families. And uh, and like we were talking yesterday, as far as uh, Victoria and John and Tony are concerned, everything has changed in their house because now they have a brand new little package, right, for Joseph. Uh, they have a brand new baby, and, and uh, things change when you have a little one that's totally dependent on you. But uh, awesome blessings from the Lord. Um, but we also have some um, other things going on. Um, we had a 7.1 uh, earthquake um, take place in Mexico. Um, over 200 people at this point that have been that are confirmed uh, to have died in the earthquake. Uh, we have um, Hurricane Maria that has wreaked havoc on Puerto Rico and is continuing through the Caribbean and in all of that. And um, so many other things. I mean, we have Harvey, um, we have Irma that went through, uh, Texas and Florida, and uh, so many things that have are going on. You know, um, missiles that are, ICBMs that are flying over um, Japan, and maybe even literally my son, our son that's, that's out there. And, and he just came into port kind of early, so I'm kind of wondering what's going on there, but but it's all in the Lord's hands. And what we need to, um, I think, put back in the forefront of our thoughts. The one thing that we need to be prepared for is the coming of Jesus. Um, I know one of the things that uh, Calvary Chapel was known for, um, you know, as the, you know, the, the Jesus movement and everything that was going on, is that they lived um, with... Uh, the return of Christ being imminent, it was always before them, and they lived with great expectancy. You know, and I think to a certain extent that's been lost. Um, I think sometimes when we when we continue to say it over and over and over again, uh, people tend to start saying, "Well, maybe not now." You know, and um, and the point of it all is not that we we lose that, but that we we know that we're even that much closer. If he hasn't come yet. It, it means that it can happen at any moment, and we, we should live in that manner, prepared and also um, having the urgency of seeing more people get saved and seeing them grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because we know that um, when they understand what it is that they have experienced for themselves, they will in turn turn and spread that and share that with more people. And so we need to be reminded that there's really nothing prophetically that needs to happen um, before the Lord comes back. 
So we need to be prepared. And, um, and so we need to continue walking um, right, upright with the Lord in the right manner, uh, pleasing Him, and also proclaiming the gospel to all who are willing to hear about it. And so I would encourage you to do that. And uh, so I'm glad you're here. Uh, we're continuing in our study in the book of Numbers. We're in chapter 17. And um, in chapter 17, we have a miracle that takes place. And God makes Aaron's staff or his rod, but it comes to life. And, it, and it's a staff that he had for quite some time. So it wasn't like it was maybe partially alive. We're going to see this miracle happen. And it's for a reason. But the whole purpose of it was for in God's desire, and this is what he wanted, is that the rebellion would come to an end, the murmuring, the complaining, um, the grumbling from the Israelites, that it would finally come to an end. And he was putting this before them to again show them his power and his authority um, so that they would understand that he has selected uh, Aaron as the high priest. And um, the priesthood was not up for grabs or... Um, given to the popular vote in order to determine who it was that would be the lineage of the high priesthood. And so that's what we have before us. So we have Numbers chapter 17. Now, rebellion seems to be Israel's middle name. That's just what they do. You can give them grumbling or murmuring, complaining. That's just, uh, for whatever reason, that's what they did. And they did it on a regular basis. They complain, they murmur, they grumble, they challenge unnecessarily. We saw that. They fail to follow commandments and lack faith in God by cowering in the face of the enemy, even though they've seen God's power personally and have been told that this is the promised land that they will occupy. We've seen all of this. But even with all of that, God continues to demonstrate just this constant love toward his people. He, con- he continues to demonstrate it over and over and over. His mercy, His provision, He continues to provide for them. He is truly long-suffering, patient, and He's, he's gracious. They're receiving what they don't even deserve. They haven't earned a, th- a thing. Not at all, right? Like, we've been walking faithfully with you, Lord, for all of these re- years. You know, they can't even say that. They've fallen over and over and over and over again. And God continues to just shower them with his love, with his mercy and with his patience and with his grace. And in this chapter, again, God does something to stop them from continuing to rebel against him. That's that's really what he desired, is that they would stop the nonsense. And he clearly defines who it is that is to carry on the work of the priesthood. Again, it's not arbitrary. It's not up to a congregational vote. This is decided by their sovereign God. And we see here that by respecting and following and listening to whom God has chosen as their leader, they were actually honoring God. What was done to Moses, what was complained against as far as Moses was concerned As we've seen in previous chapters, it was a complaint and murmuring and grumbling against the Lord himself. So, we have again, this amazing miracle that took place 
right before them. So let's pray before we get into this chapter, and, uh, and we'll get into our study. Father, we are so thankful for your character. What we just described is who you are. You are perfect love. Your love toward us has no blemishes whatsoever. And you demonstrated your love toward us before we demonstrated it toward you. You demonstrated your love toward us even from the beginning. You had a plan of salvation, of redemption in your son Jesus Christ. And you gave him to us. Lord, but your love wasn't just demonstrated there on the cross on Calvary, but it was from the very beginning. And we see it this evening in chapter 17, how it is that you desired that your people would live without grumbling, content, and satisfied in you, knowing that you will continue to provide for them. And you desired simply that they would trust you and have faith in you. And so, Lord, I pray that for each and every one of us here tonight, That, Lord, if we've tested and tried you in so many different ways, lived lives that are discontent and always looking for something more, that this evening, Father, you would once again remind us of your love toward us. And, Father, we would simply rest in you. We would lean against you, trust in your word, and know that you will never let us down. And so, Father, we commit this evening into your hands, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Numbers chapter 17, verse 1, says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and get from them staffs, one for each father's house, from all their chiefs, according to their father's houses, twelve staffs. Write each man's name on his staff and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. For there shall be one staff for the head of each father's house. So the Lord gives instructions here. This is what I want you to do. And he commanded that there be collected one staff or a rod from each of the tribes, the leaders, the chiefs, to be brought in before him. And for the tribe of Levi, it was to have Aaron's name. Now, we know that the rod of Moses was used powerfully by God to do many things. And I want to remind you of uh, of a few of those things. Because initially, what did Moses do with his staff? You remember? Even before all the miracles that God demonstrated through Moses and his staff before Egypt and Pharaoh. What did he do with his staff before that? He did something very humble. Out in the wilderness, he tended to the sheep. That's what he did with that staff. He tended to the sheep. He was caring for them in the wilderness. And at that point, you could say that it was a shepherd's staff. But then later, it became a symbol of authority and God's power in the hand of Moses. Because with this same rod, many, many miracles had been performed even up to this point. It became a serpent. You remember, he threw it down, it became a serpent, and then he grabbed it by the tail, and it became a rod once, once more. And he'd do that, and he, de- he demonstrated God's power, how it is that 
God can turn a, a thing that was a dead stick into a living serpent and then back into a stick. He had the power to do that. This was all in Exodus. It was, turned, it, it was used to turn the water in the Nile, you remember, into blood. It was used to bring forth the plague of the frogs, uh, the plague of the lice, hail, locusts, as well as raising the rod over the Red Sea when the Israelites were all there and they were trapped. You remember the, the Egyptians were coming behind them. It was used to part the Red Sea and allow all of the Israelites to pass through as if on dry ground. The rod was also used to strike the rock from which water came out for the people. And the rod was also raised in prayer over Israel as they battled victoriously. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 9, it says, So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And it was interesting that Jesus was given the title of the rod in Micah 6, 9. If you're jotting down some notes, write down Micah 6, 9. You can refer to it. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 21, the rod is an emblem of of the apostles' authority within the church. 1 Corinthians 4.21 says, What do you wish? Paul speaking, of course. Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? The rod is discipline in love, in the hands of the right person. It is correction and redirection. Proverbs 13.24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Even here, the rod in a way is used as a form of correction for the children of Israel. It is reiterating God's plan and order, regardless of what the children of Israel desire that is opposed to the plan that God has for them. What it is that He's commanded. It really is irrelevant what the children of Israel want to do, if it's opposed to God's plan, if it's opposed to His Word, then He loves them and He's going to correct them and redirect them. But it's instruction. It, it, it's not, you know, um, one of the things that I've, I've shared with my wife and uh, I've shared with, with others at times is that I know we use the word punishment with our kids. You know, well, we, we punish our kids. And really, quite frankly, it's it's not that we punish. It's like the penal code, you know. It's like, man, let's throw them in jail, kind of a thing. And that's what comes to mind. It's like even that has a whole different meaning than what we have come to know today. By the way, because it's supposed to be a correcting in our penal system. But what it is is it's discipline. It's correction with a purpose. And that really puts things in proper perspective when we're raising our kids. It's not just doing something because, well, we want them to understand the consequences of their actions. But we also need to guide them and direct them and teach them what the right thing to do would be. It's like, okay, if you took that from someone, then you need to give it back. If you lied, you need to tell the truth. You understand what I'm saying? 
So, so there's something there. And with the Lord, it's always like that. That's what he desires. There's, the law, there's that law of putting off and putting on, right? You put off the, the thing that is bad, the thing that is opposed to God and shames God. And you put on that which blesses God and gives him glory. And so, here in a way, you could say that the Lord is correcting his people. It is reiterating God's plan and order. He doesn't use the rod to smack him. He does something else with that rod. That is regardless of what the children of Israel desire. Again, if it's opposed to the plan and order and the will of God. So in response, you could say to Korah's rebellion, remember they were vying for a priestly authority? God had them write the names of the chiefs of the tribes on each of their staffs, and so they did. Verse 4, Then you shall deposit them in the tent of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And the staff of the man whom I choose shall sprout. Thus I will make to cease from me the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against you. Stop there. The choice would be made absolutely plain, like super clear through a miracle that God causes to happen. It's just, you know, it, it's something that happens that's inexplicable by natural or scientific laws. That's what a miracle is. It's like that goes beyond. It defies any natural or scientific law. That is what this, this staff did. And that's what God was using to identify exactly who it is that God had chosen. The sprouting or blossoming of one of the staffs, the one whom God chooses. And who can perform the miracle of raising the dead to life? The Lord can. Jesus, when he called Lazarus out of the grave, he had to to make sure that he said his name, right? (laughs) Or else all the dead would be coming to life. But isn't this what God does in reconciling man unto himself through the Son, Jesus Christ? You see, Christianity seeks to take dead men and make them alive. That's the difference between Christianity and and all other religions, which are false religions. This miraculous fruitfulness is present in so many different ways, though. You know, we see it this evening in this, this rod... And we see this is the man that God had chosen, right? As the one who really would be responsible, him and his sons. We've already, we've gone through this, we've read it. They were responsible for the sacrifices of the tabernacle to perform them on behalf of the people. And you can say with with them and with leadership that God chooses, that really, there's this divine work that should be evident in their lives. You think about this rod and how it is that there was a miraculous fruitfulness in and through it, and it was by the power of God. Really, that should be evident in the lives of the men and the women that God chooses 
to use in different areas within the body of Christ for us today. It should be. Now, these staffs were to be deposited or brought in and set before the testimony. All of them. All of them. All of the names, all the tribes, they were represented in all these rods were brought before the Lord. This is the very place where God met with Moses in the very presence of God, God promised would be there. And it would be through this miraculous act of God that he would make it abundantly clear whom it was that he chose for the priestly duties of the sanctuary. That, that was all challenged. And we had a lot of people that lost their lives that were judged because of what Korah had done. And so God was going to show them exactly who it was that he had originally selected. The Lord desired to stop all of their grumblings against Moses, which were in all actuality before God. We see, as I said at the very beginning, that uh, the Israelites were, were complainers. They, they grumbled all the time. We see this over and over and over again, right? You see, complainers are rarely satisfied with factual evidence. You know, uh, you have a complainer and you give them like factual evidence and they, they still find something else to complain about. It's just, I don't know. It, it's odd. You give them sufficient argument that proves the opposing view or decision or decisions that are made and it's still, you know, they keep going. It's just, I don't know why. The real issue of the complainer isn't that there is a lack of evidence. There is a lack of facts or information. But many times it's, it's a heart issue. It's a discontent heart that is restless and is always looking to play the devil's advocate, never conceding, is a constant critic, not looking for true solutions. A chronic complainer has a heart that is not at peace, not content. And God desires that his people are not those complainers, aren't grumblers, that they would be content in him, satisfied in him. And so God will give them an indisputable answer to their complain, complaint. But it isn't that they won't ever complain again, because we know, from, I mean, if you, you've read through, you know that this is not the end of their complaining. They keep going. But this was a point in this matter to where God, from this point forward, and we know that he does judge them. Remember all adults um, from 20 years and older, they're all judged. Why? Because they were unfaithful as uh, they continued to grumble and complain, and they, they lacked faith in the Lord. They would not make it into the promised land. So we're still with those people right now. But God would judge them. And he would not allow them to go into the promised land. I was thinking how sometimes, you know, would there be a point that God would give us, you know, as the, as the, or, or something that God would give us, and it would be an indisputable answer for us, that serves as a point 
at which he would discipline, discipline us. Like it's clear. Like this is, listen, child, son of mine, daughter of mine. This is it right here. I'm just giving you my answer. If you refuse to take this, then you leave me no choice than to discipline you. And I think he does. Because he, he's a fair God and, and he, gives us, he gives us chances over and over and over again. I think he does somewhat the same thing today in different ways. You know, to where he, he puts that shot over the bow, so to speak. And he says, I'm just warning you. You know, you don't continue to go down this path. And then we keep going. And at some point he allows us to deal with the consequences of our insistent attitude. You know, our perseverance and the things that are not right. I think sometimes he does. Now, what they do is, uh, is exactly what they've been told to do. In verse 6, Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and all their chiefs gave him staffs, one for each, each chief, according to their father's houses, twelve staffs, and the staff of Aaron was among their staffs. And Moses deposited the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. So, so, testimony. so in those two verses, basically, um, just this was the people's responses. They did exactly what the Lord had commanded. Moses passed it along to them, as was his, uh, the custom of, of what Moses did. He would just pass along exactly what the Lord would tell him, and they did it. Verse 8, On the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from before the Lord to all the people of Israel, and they looked. And each man took his staff. And the Lord said to Moses, Put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels, that you may make an end of their grumblings against me, lest they die. Thus did Moses as the Lord commanded him, so he did. It was, um, it was a miraculous act. And it was humbling at the same time for the children of Israel. I know that there have been several times in my life that are very distinct. Uh, times that I can point to that I have seen God's providence move clearly. For me, it's, it's clear. It's like I can point to that and say, that was the Lord. The Lord was moving in that way. It was his sovereign choice that superseded worldly or maybe even institutional standards. And in, in, uh, I know some of you, I've shared with you some of these things that I, I can say, that's the Lord's hand. You know, it, it's none other than the Lord's hand. He did that in my life. It can't be attributed to anything else. And by the way, I mean, I don't believe in chance. Do you guys believe in chance? It's like, no, right? Romans 8.28 is true. Uh, I don't think any portion of our lives is by accident. doesn't like, oh, I didn't, the Lord saying, you know, I didn't know that was going to happen, but we can make the best of that kind of a thing. No, I, I think that every single day of our lives, the things that happen is something that the Lord has put together and we hopefully walk according to the Spirit that we would not walk in the flesh and fulfill the lust of the flesh, but we would walk in the Spirit and walk in line with His will in our lives, right? 
I'd like to think that maybe sometimes, you know, you or myself, that, that we get into some of these situations and we're, we're pretty awesome, right? And that's why these things happen to us. That's why maybe I get a little favor here and there or you get a little favor here and there. Things happen the way they do. But, but you know what? As I read God's word and, and I see how it is that he works in our lives, it, it isn't because we're so great. Because what do we deserve? We deserve absolutely nothing. We don't deserve anything. In fact, we deserve condemnation. We deserve to be just cast into the lake of fire along with the devil and all of his demons. For we have sinned against the Lord. He is a righteous and holy God. But he demonstrated his grace toward us. He demonstrated his love toward us through his son, Jesus Christ. So what we have here is that the next day after... They had placed all their staffs before the Lord that Moses went in to go check on all of these staffs, the rods. And he found the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms and it bore ripe almonds. I mean, as Moses went in and he saw this, all the other ones were dead, right? They were still just sticks. And here was Aaron's staff. And it had all this growth on it. What? Wow. This is amazing. It happened in just overnight. No matter how many miracles Moses had seen, this had to have put awe in his heart. You know, just amazement. Like, you did it again, Lord. One more time. Not only did this dead piece of wood sprout with life with twigs and and leaves but it also had flower uh, or buds you know that were starting to have some flowers but it also had actual flowers and then it not only had flowers but in part of it it had almonds and not just almonds some there were some almonds but there were ripe almonds it was all on this staff that they had placed before the lord where Moses did. Now, of course, this wouldn't be a big deal if this staff was still on the tree itself, right? But it wasn't. The other staffs, well, nothing. Nothing at all. So as Moses came out, and he was handing all the staffs out to all the tribes, he sees Aaron's and he sees Aaron and says, this is yours. It's alive. <laughs> Look at this. So Aaron took it. He ran down the middle of all the tribes and he saw, Look at what I have. No, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. God had given his answer. Clearly. He'd given his answer to their questioning of Moses' and Aaron's leadership. The, question, the two questions that we need to answer is, what did this mean and what did it not mean? Those two questions, I believe, are very important. First of all, what it did not mean. It did not mean that Aaron was more spiritual. It did not mean that Aaron was perfect. That he was infallible. It did not mean that Aaron was better. 
it did not mean that Aaron earned the spot that God gave him. It didn't mean any of those things at all. This is what it did mean. That God chose Aaron and the people were to recognize it. That's it. That that was it. That was it. That's as simple as it is, and that is the basic truth. Reminded me of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, which says, For consider your calling, brothers, and as a colon. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no man, no human, being might, no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So, it kind of, you know, it puts things in proper perspective when every time I read through, it's like, yeah, that's right, you know, um, Aaron and Moses. I mean, remember Moses. Moses didn't even want to take on what the Lord was giving him to do. You are going to be the person who delivers the, the my people out from slavery under Pharaoh. You know, and he made up all kinds of excuses. At that point, he understood, as once he thought he was something, he was made to understand that he was a nobody, and now God wanted to use a nobody to deliver his people because he understood that it was only by God's power, by his spirit, that he could do anything. And so as we serve the Lord, that's what we need to keep before us all the time. That it isn't because any one person is, is great. There's nothing there. God didn't select Aaron because he was great, better, infallible, any of that, because he wasn't any of those things. He simply chose him. And that was enough. With this knowledge, it serves to prevent any spiritual pride that could well up in the heart of a person who's called to serve God in a specific manner. Worship team? A worship team leader or simply one from the worship team itself and a teacher, a counselor, a ministry leader? How about an executive pastor, an admin pastor, an intern pastor, an assistant pastor, a lead pastor, a senior pastor, elder, deacon, apologist, evangelist? about an usher? No one, right? Not a single person. Should at any point spill... uh, well up with any kind of spiritual pride. Because no, we know that every person within the body of Christ is simply serving where God has called them to serve. And by the way, each and every place is ordained by God. Each and every place. There's not one position within the body of Christ that is not ordained by God. Not one.
And so I believe that everyone should be familiar with the very humbling passage in Scripture that we found the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians. If we boast, then let's boast in how great the Lord is. Let's boast in Him, in His greatness. So God made His choice. And Moses was told by God to put Aaron's staff back in the Ark of the Testimony to be kept as a sign for all of the the good people. No, it was for all the rebels. That's what we read here, right? It, It was to serve as an example to the rebels of God's choosing and what he could do and who the authority was and to stop them from rebelling. This was interesting because as Moses put it back, it was God that preserved it in this form in order for it to serve as a reminder of God's choice and to stop them from further grumbling and complaining against the Lord. We need to learn to be content. Because as we grow in the Lord, we we learn that we can trust in Him. You know, as He continues to provide for us, He continues to to, um, be trustworthy, to be faithful. Hopefully we're growing in our faith in Him, in our trust in Him, to be content in Him, to be satisfied with who we are in Christ. The Apostle Paul learned to be content in Christ. In Philippians 4.11, he says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And then he goes on to list all kinds of different situations that he's been in. Cold, hot, hungry, filled with uh, supplies and with finances, not having anything. We know he, he was shipwrecked in prison. I mean, all, all of these things. And yet in all of that, he had learned in whatever situation he was in to be content. To wait on the Lord is to hope in the Lord and to trust in him. To know that he is faithful and pleased by the person who exercises faith in him. You want to please the Lord? There, there's nothing that you can do besides this to please the Lord. Not all kinds of good benevolent acts those won't do it if it's void of this one very thing. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's faith. Fear and worry, doubt, that's anti-faith, anti-trust, anti-hope. And will lead to a complaining heart that ultimately rebels against God. You, you demonstrate that. It's like when you worry, when, you have, you, when you're anxious about things. When you doubt. What you're doing is you're, you're exercising your rebellion against God. And you're, when you doubt and when you don't find fulfillment and you don't trust Him. You're lacking in faith. It's not pleasing to the Lord. We need to learn to trust Him and to be content and know that He is faithful and He will always be with us no matter what situation we're in. He will always be there. Remember that God does not provide us with explanations. He provides us with promises. And those should be good enough because they are. That's what we ought to live by faith in and that's those promises we look to them that's why it's important to read through the word and and come to study the word and then 
and then meditate on the word and, and even memorize the word. Because it's at those times when the Spirit will bring those words to our remembrance and they will minister to us. They will remind us of God's faithfulness. Verse 12. And the people of Israel said to Moses, Behold, we perish. We are undone. We are all undone. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord, shall die. Are we all to perish? And that's how this chapter closes. So, finally, at the very end, do the people of God finally repent? Are they finally convicted in their hearts of what they've done? Their rebellion against the Lord. Remember that Israel has seen God's judgment. Korah, Dathan, Abiram, 250 leaders of the people. 14,700 people died in the plague as a result of their rebellion against the Lord. And now, with this powerful miracle, now they were fearful that they too might perhaps also have the same fate. Come to a place where they would they would perish. And they were rightfully fearful. I mean, they were bold enough to, okay, let's see. It's one of those moments to where they could have very easily at that point conceded, right? God, God was even giving them another opportunity right here. It's like, I, I, I know that we're supposed to bring our staffs before you and see who it is that God has really, truly, genuinely, sincerely, finally chosen to be and do the work of the priestly duties in the tabernacle. And they could, they could have at that point said, you know what, I'm sorry, forgive us. We know you have already selected Aaron and his sons to do that very work. And so we can see, please forgive us. They could have very easily repented even at that time. But they, they continued on. Let, let's see. Maybe he made a mistake initially. And they, they still question him through this. They're still hoping that maybe, maybe some other staffs would bud. But they didn't. But it sure does seem like they were convicted of their sin. But there's one thing that's missing that I notice from here. And this is just my observation. As you read through scripture, just look for things, just make some observations. What's missing here? At this point, we had something called the sacrificial system, right? Atonement. Sin had to be atoned for. There, there had to be a, a shedding of blood for the remission of sin. Had to be, had to come before the Lord with an offering. Do you see an offering here? I don't, I don't see an offering here. I don't see them sacrificing before the Lord to atone for their sin. I see here that there was a fear of the consequences. But the question is, was there full repentance? Well, quite honestly, many times, probably most of the times, we just, we don't know. We really don't know. There are times that time does tell, and for the Israelites, this would not be the last time they complained, murmured, and rebelled. And see, so we know that this wasn't the, the last time that they would, they would do these things. 
They would continue on in the same pattern. They would continue to do that. This does serve as an example that amazing and dramatic and emotional experiences do not take away our fallen nature. It's only a heart that's been changed by God, a new creature in Christ. You know, and, and I have to say that even today we're looking for that. We're, we're looking for that amazing moment, you know, this incredible experience. And God is saying, still saying today, as he has from the very beginning, he, he much more just simply prefer, prefers obedience. Nothing else there rather than sacrifices, right? He, the way to please him is by exercising our faith in him. When we... The way we exercise our faith in the Lord is by simply following His commandments. We demonstrate our love for Him in doing that, is what the Bible tells us. Jesus said those words. If you love me, obey my commandments. That's it. There's no wonderful experience that's going to get us through that. You know, if, if I were to show you, you know, that this miracle would demonstrate that God is right and you're wrong, would that finally convince you? Outside of the word. To a lot of people, it wouldn't convince. It wouldn't be convincing. The way we demonstrate our love toward God is simply to obey Him, to bless Him, to have faith in Him. And this can only be done, not in the flesh, but as a new creature in Christ. That's the only way. I, I know I would have no purpose, no real desire to follow the Lord if, if, I, if I didn't know I was His, if, if I didn't know that I had uh, an eternal hope of forever being in His glory, of knowing that I was forgiven by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And He gave me a whole new heart that desires to follow Him, to please Him, to live for Him. The old man being dead and the new man coming to life in Christ. That's really the only way that even the Israelites, they had to walk by faith. They had to get to a point to where they lived a surrendered life to God. Not only are you our God, but you're our Lord and I will follow you. You have governing authority over me and I surrender to you. God never overpowered them and made them obey. He never did that. He continued to lay out his laws before them, and he gave them the choice. Are you going to follow, or are you not going to follow? And he continued to do that. Now, of course, God, God does desire that any discipline would serve as instruction and correction, as I we talked about it earlier Earlier in the child of God. And with that comes a right standing before God as we respond. That, that's what his desire was for his, his people in this chapter. Because when we do know that, when we come to walk in obedience before the Lord, trusting in him and exercising our faith before him, there's this peace that overcomes us. Why? Because we know that we're, we're right before the Lord. We have a clear conscience, clean hands, pure heart before the Lord. 
and it's a good place to be. And really with all of this, even though perhaps the the people of God didn't didn't quite learn this, I do pray that we would we would that we would learn that that maybe that would be something that comes to the surface this evening because that's what God desires that's what I hope for each and every one of you and I'll close with this Ephesians 6 23 and 24 peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible that is what I pray for us Father we thank you Lord that again you demonstrate your love. You, even through this miracle, Lord, you, you have exhibited your power. You have made it abundantly clear. What really you had already commanded, you had already de- determined that it was Aaron and his sons that were going to take this place, this work, and be responsible for it within the tabernacle. And, and yet, this was a moment that you demonstrated your long-suffering. Your discipline was to correct not the minds, but the hearts of the people. And to demonstrate to them that you love them and you want them at that point as well as today to walk in a way that is trusting of you that they express their faith toward you each and, and each and every one of us today. And so, Lord, that's what I pray for us, that we would know, that we would trust, and that we would desire that intimacy with you each and every day. And, Lord, that we would please you by being obedient to you in your word. And that would be our reasonable service. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.